To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hey, Jackie. Hey, Rebecca. So now that it's been a few weeks since we wrapped the season, how are you feeling? Yeah, so I am still digesting everything we did over eight episodes. You know, it was a lot of work. But we're not quite done yet. Last week at the Bloomberg Business Week conference, you and I sat down and talked about the making of the season. Everything from how it came together, the high points, the challenges... And the reactions. Yeah, we really went behind the scenes about our thought process, favorite episodes and moments. And we ended on what's bubbling up now that could maybe even be potential for a fourth season. It was fun, and we figured we'd turn it into a bonus episode for you. So here it is. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, So for the first two seasons of The Paycheck, I did it solo, and we started the very first season with a personal story of mine. The first season was about the gender pay gap, and my mom actually fought a gender discrimination lawsuit. So when we decided we wanted to switch gears to the racial wealth gap, I wanted to bring on a co-host, and I wanted someone who could bring something personal to it, and I, I certainly couldn't do that on my own. So... Immediately, your name came up as, you know, a very impressive, high-ranking journalist in the newsroom. Um, But I didn't know if you would be into it. You're very busy. I didn't know if you wanted to get into the weeds of a podcast. So I want to know how you felt when we reached out to you to take on the show. Honestly, it felt like you were all asking for my hand in marriage. But it took me literally a nanosecond to reply, absolutely, let's go. I mean, I didn't really give it a lot of thought because to me, in spite of how busy I am, and we're all busy, um, this is a deeply important topic. It's a topic that was really sort of sweeping the country, the world, and you know, just the idea of being involved in it in the minute, um, it made a lot of sense. So yeah, in a heartbeat, the answer was yes. I thought that was really cool. And everyone should know that Jackie like took this incredibly seriously. And I mean, really did so much work and it was amazing to work with you on it. Yeah. And so, I mean, Becca, have the fact that you've done three seasons and, you know, as you explained, the first two focused on the gender uh, gap. Uh, Can you just give viewers a little bit of a sense of why we decided to go to the racial wealth gap this time? Yeah, so we had actually planned a third season on the gender pay gap, and we had started production, and then the pandemic happened, so we put that on hold. And when we went to revisit the series and, you know, get back going again, we just looked back at what we thought we were going to do, and it just it didn't make sense. It didn't work. The world had changed. You know, pandemic revealed inequalities. It created new inequalities, and it was also the summer. And the country was in the middle of these massive racial justice protests. And it just made complete sense to us to 
look at a different inequality statistic and the racial wealth gap was, you know, demanding our attention at that time. So we decided to to dive into that. And I think it I think it worked really well. Yeah. So the beginning of season three starts with a really powerful personal story that you tell about your family. My dad talked less and less about the land, but he never gave up on it. In one email I got from him, he says, I'm certain of one thing. If that property ever pays off in Texas, we are out of here to someplace other than Mexico. I have no idea what he meant by Mexico, and I never got a chance to ask. He got cancer, and while sick, a cousin reached out to see whether I could get him to sell some of the land. How did you decide that you wanted to explore your own history and past as part of the show? Yeah, so we talked about it um, a bit, and I, I think actually you remembered it better than I do, but it was one of the planning sessions and one of the calls we were doing. I mentioned by happenstance that my family owned land in East Texas that we no longer own, and that this land was acquired in the late 1800s and passed on in a very sort of messy way that Black families in that era acquired land. So a little bit of slice here, a sliver there. And that's basically how it came together. And, you know, ultimately we lost that land. But, you know, just knowing that the how wealth in America is amassed, it's usually through inheritance. And a big part of that equation is land and property. So it did make sense, make sense when I thought about it to pull in my family's history and my family's story and sort of tie it together. But, you know, to be honest, I needed a push. Um, it's really hard to kind of think about unraveling your own family history. It's very complicated. Record keeping isn't what it was or what it is now, especially for that demographic back then. Um, but ultimately, once I got into it, I got into it. Yeah, I remember we were just like, oh, just report it out. Like, it'll work out. I knew that you would get something good and useful if you just used your reporter skills. But I I do want to know, like, how was that process for you as a journalist kind of trying to dig things up versus, you know, a person who's digging into and learning about your family's really difficult past? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, you know, the history of Black people in America, it's it's an ugly history. And it's one of the reasons why people have a hard time, you know, like, let's just move on. You know, we don't really want to talk about this. It's ugly. It's messy. And it's personal. And I I didn't mention this earlier, but, you know, one of the reasons I was so compelled by the project is that I knew we would look at this in sort of the way we do at Bloomberg. So we would look at it with facts and data and statistics and numbers and sort of, you know, like really had that lead the narrative versus sort of a purely emotional one. That said, it is very emotional. So I found out things about my family I did not know about, you know, family members who, you know, died in childbirth, plowing fields and sort of losing land and losing, you know, sort of racist incidents that they would come across. And yeah, I mean, there were times I was doing my research and I burst out in tears, you know, so it's, it's, it is deeply personal. And, you know, that combined with the fact that, you know, you're looking at your own country's history and through this optic and with the family. Yeah, it was a bit kind of overwhelming at times, but I'm still glad I did it. What did you, Becca, you know, 
again, given the fact that you've seen us through three seasons, what did you find was the most challenging part of digging into this theme? Yeah, I come at it from a really different place. Um, And I think, you know, I consider myself an expert on the gender pay gap at this point, having done all this reporting. And then we were just switching gears into something definitely I feel a little bit less comfortable with as a reporter, a journalist. So having to definitely feeling like, you know, I could be an expert for the listener. I really wanted to make sure we got this right. So that was the first challenge. And then the other challenge is that, of course, racism and inequality exists in lots of different forms all over the world. But it is a very specific to the U.S. story, what we were telling. And so making sure that people who were outside the U.S. could understand it. But then when we also did episodes that were global, we had an episode in the U.K., like trying to understand the way racism manifests there and explain it to a U.S. audience. I think that was one of the most challenging parts for for me, just like as an editor and a journalist. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What would you say was something that you um, learned through the show that you, you know, had never learned before? Like that was something new that we had dug up. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of things I learned because, you know, a lot of this is not um, taught in the history books. But the thing I took away uh, amongst many things, but was the unsung heroes that appeared in the in the different narratives. So, for instance, Episode three features a black farmer who struggled to obtain credit to keep his farm going. And he experienced racism in that process and challenged a federal agency basically set up to help aid farmers, you know, from which he and his demographic had been excluded. $50,000 to a struggling farmer who has no money is a real shot in the arm up. So it did help. Did it give the land back? No. Was it enough settlement to, to make all of the discrimination go away from USDA? The answer is no. But did it help the people who got the money? Absolutely. You know, he took a legal challenge and I learned about that. I learned about, I was very touched by um, a character we uh, bring into the season, Callie House. You know, a black woman in the late 1800s who had multiple children, uh, was a seamstress, And she was one of the first people to put the idea of reparations on the table. She was jailed for it. Um, She ultimately died without seeing sort of the outcome of that initiative. But, you know, all the things that she did 
are still ringing true today. If you look at some of the initiatives going on right now around reparations and just acknowledging our past. So the real thing that I took away and learned from it was just the things I didn't learn as a, as a, as a school child about my own history and the people who were unsung heroes in it. Yeah, I think John Boyd, the farmer, actually talked about that in the episode, how he won this really huge racial discrimination case, but feels like it's really overlooked. Um, and that's something that came up in the, the finale, too, with Claire Suddeth, who talks about not learning about any anything in school. And so I hope that other listeners get that out of it, too. Well, what about you? I mean, what was your what did you learn that you didn't know? Yeah, mine's like definitely wonkier. <laughs> um, I was really like enlightened by just the learning. You know, I think I understood that slavery made people very rich. I understood that. But um, hearing that Marisha Baradaran talk about it as a system of capital that you could, you know, you could take out loans on it and make yourself richer. If you own slaves, that was an asset on which you could gain leverage to buy more stuff. And that's how you get rich is you have assets that produce wealth and then you can get more credit based on those assets. And I just had never really thought about it in that way. And then we also talk about housing in the same way about, I think one of the people we talked to said, I hope this is right. Most people start their own business by taking out collateral on their houses. And so it's not just like your house is gaining in value and you have that security, but it's like this ability to build something more and how black people have, you know, where first their bodies were used that way and then later were left out of other ways. So that was that was probably the most enlightening thing to me. Right. And, and was there I mean, was there anything that really shocked you that you were like, wow, I mean. Uh, I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. If I, I don't know what the right answer is to that because it's all so is a cop out, but it's all really <laughs> shocking. It's very, um, and it's just shocking, like how it perpetuates itself. It's like, again, I think people think of slavery as something that happened a long time ago. And that is true, but it just continues to perpetuate on itself. And I think that was something, yeah, with season one with the gender makeup too. It's like these little seeds get planted and then you can't just forget that that happened. They grow and, you know, Right. Create new inequalities. What about you? Um, everything shocked me uh, <laughs> from start to finish. I think when we did the math uh, in episode two and we actually you add up the value of human life and human capital. I think that when you think of the, you know, uh, how the system is basically built on the backs of, of, of people. The economic value of the four million slaves was an average of $1,000 per person, or about $4 billion altogether, the banks, railroads, and factories in the United States all put together were worth about $3.5 billion. It's something that you have to actually pause, you know, many, many times over. And then you see how that sort of perpetuates itself across history and over the different episodes. And, you know, when you're looking at, you know, the question of reparations or you're looking at what happened in England with Windrush immigration and how that, you know, had an impact, you know, in a different, similar but different way. Um, it's sort of that self-perpetuating and, you know, kind of knock-on effect that this basic, you know, event of enslaving people 
that's that's a thing that it's just it never really leaves you. I have to ask, um, but what was your favorite episode? I don't like to pick favorites among my children, as I say, but um, episode one, I just loved it. I felt like episode first episodes always the hardest because it needs to be gripping, but also set the scene and do a lot of work. And then also, I think you get in your head about it. I do. I got in my head about it. But I think we got there and I think your story was so well done. It just was very subtle in a way for people who haven't listened that I think is um, difficult to pull off and effective and then just set us up for the rest of the season. We weave Jackie's story in in other episodes. So I also really liked that we did that. Um, so episode one. And then my the other episode I really stayed with me and I really liked was episode six, which was our uh, first reparations episode about reparations in the U.S. And I liked that for a lot of reasons. But one reason I liked that we looked at this reparations scheme in Evanston, Illinois, that's happening right now. And I think a lot of our episodes are historical or look back. And I thought it was really cool that we had something going on right now that, you know, as we were making the show, news was happening. And I think that's always really cool. And it also, I think, changed, you know, I think my perspective on reparations was changed a little bit. Like the solutions to all these things were made more complicated for me after doing the show, which, um, you know, nuance is a hard thing to accept, but it's there. So those were my my two favorites. What about you? Yeah, I mean, like you, um, we love all our children equally, right? Um, <laughs> but I mean, it would be kind of strange if I said I didn't like my own family story. <laughs> Even though, like you said, it was very subtle. Um, and it was sometimes frustrating because there's things I just didn't figure out in the end. Like, I don't know exactly how my family ultimately got the land. I mean, I got the deed thanks to a listener who sent it to me. But, you know, there were so many like pockets of and holes in this story that that said, um, you know, like it it very much was the context of what we were trying to achieve to explain the gap. And so it really did, I feel, set the scene. The other thing I think um, is I really liked uh, the Claire's story, the finale. And I thought it was the perfect sort of juxtaposition to my story. So, you know, you've got, you know, the black family um, coming out of slavery, trying to build wealth, and you've got her family um, discusses from the perspective of a descendant of a slave owner. Um, I, 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 I thought that was a perfect, you know, bookend to the entire series because, you know, you have these different perspectives. And what I really liked about her episode, because I had the pleasure of interviewing her multiple times for it, was, you know, that she could really articulate, you know, this process of understanding how her, you know, family owned slaves. And, you know, even the idea that potentially her great, great, great grandfather, you know, impregnated a slave. And she goes through that process of of sort of discovering like all of these nuances and historical moments and, and sort of relating it back to the present. And so someone that I'm connected to today is connected to someone, is connected to someone who did love someone who owned slaves. And I think that is something that I've actually never really articulated before and also something that I think is necessary for us to understand. There seems to be this feeling that in admitting 
your past wrongs, you're somehow admitting that everything about you in the past or everything about your family in the past is bad and terrible. You know, when she talks about her ancestor, you know, writing, you know, the Mississippi Constitution to basically forbid uh, blacks from taking part in voting. Well, there's some remnants of that sort of happening in 2021. And she sort of connects the dots. She also talks about history and the fact that she, she never learned like me. I didn't learn a lot of these these historical facts, a lot of these unsung heroes. So I think that there was a lot of connectivity between the two stories. And it's two American women sort of, you know, basically having a voice on the topic. I thought it was, those are, I have to say, my probably my two favorites. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have some questions. Should we take some questions, you know, Let's do other people's questions? Yeah. <laughs> the first question asked is, in a single-parent household, is it more difficult to create and retain generational wealth? I mean, I would say yes. And one of our episodes does hit that when we talk about the tax code. And we have, you know, a character in the series who basically, a woman who owned her home, and she happens to be a single parent, um, who's now having to rent her home because she lost that property because of, you know, basically the tax system was not even and equal. Yeah, I feel left behind. I I, I feel left behind. And then, and then, well, last year to learn that I was overtaxed by 5000 It makes me sad. It makes me depressed. It makes me feel like a failure. I mean, that's one example, but it does not help when you don't have different uh, partner or people to, to, to help you um, in that situation, for sure. I yeah. mean, so it's, it's one example. What do you think? Yeah, I think the thing we learned or I learned through this was that wealth is something that builds over time. And so you know, your circumstances right now certainly can help you, but also it really matters what circumstances you came from. So it's kind of hard to answer that question because there could be a single parent who inherited a lot of wealth or a single parent whose family helped them put them through school. Or, you know, I think it's more, it is generational. Right. Um, so that's my answer. All right. This one's for Jackie. What did your family think about the series? That's a really good question. It is a good question. What did my family think? You know, it actually took them, some of them, a bit of time to sit down and listen to it, you know. Um, but when they did, I think that they, like me, were pretty emotional about it. Because, again, you know, it's part of the reason, like, I can't watch 
films like Mississippi Burning or documentaries about civil rights era. I, it's painful to watch, you know, uh, any demographic, but, you know, one from which you sprang <laughs> to have that kind of hard look discussion. You know, it's easier to turn on like a comedy series or something. But so I think they put it off. But their reaction ultimately was um, joy. Again, you always should, when possible, put a voice to your narrative. Um, you know, just speak up. Again, make it fact-based. You know, teach and and basically, you know, have a voice. So ultimately, they were the reaction was pretty positive. Uh, so our final question was actually going to be our final question <laughs> to each other. So I'm glad you guys asked it. Which is, what topic will you explore for your next season? I can take this one. We don't know yet, um, but I think having now shifted away from this idea of the gender pay gap as being what we focus on for the series. We've opened ourselves up to exploring any wealth, inequality or any inequality statistic. And so I think that's really exciting and freeing because we can go a lot of directions with this. One idea that I was discussing with Jackie is maybe we've been very U.S. focused. Um, Maybe there's some sort of global inequality statistic we can look at. But um, we just finished this season, so I'm going to need a little bit of a break to think about it and rest up. Yeah. I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I want to go global um, to the degree we can. I think it's important, particularly in a recovery year and looking at the anemoness of the recovery um, around the world. Thanks so much for, for being here. And please listen to the show yes. if you haven't already. Rate, subscribe. Thank you. If you want even more Paycheck, Bloomberg's Quick Take team made a video adaptation of our series, which you can find at Bloomberg.com slash QT. Some people, they just got fired and they had no idea why. Some people were detained, losing access to healthcare. How many have been detained as prisoners in their own country? The historical injustice has never been addressed. Ending an injustice is not the same thing as making up for its enduring effects. The fact is that millions of Negroes, as a result of centuries of denial and neglect, have been left bootless. I feel it's a travesty. I want to leave my children something that I earned and I put my blood, sweat, and tears into. If I stab you, you may suffer complications long after that initial actual stabbing. That's the case with African Americans. There are people well within the living memory of this country that are still suffering from the after effects of that. The motherland. That's what Britain was called, the motherland. And then the mother just rejected her children. For what reason? We didn't do anything wrong. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to be in your ears again soon. Bye! Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. 
he's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.